Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Hot. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play again. Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo Lufau wants the deep ball. Welcome into New Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. WTTF. Welcome to the fight, Tyler. Okay, I was <laughs> I was actually wondering what that meant when you gave me the sheet. So glad to know. <laughs> I'm ready. That is the the team's motto. The uh, Duke's up. Are are you buying the hype around Drew Wilson's offseason strength and conditioning program? I mean, I guess as much as I am with anybody else's off-season conditioning program. I mean, everyone's like, oh, man, the guys are so much bigger. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what happens when you work out every day, you know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, it's it seems like the thing that I will buy is that the team likes Drew Wilson a lot more, which is important. I mean, you want to actually enjoy being in that workout room with the coaches. Um, that obviously helps getting in there every single day. makes it a lot easier. It's not, you know, it's less of a burden and more of... A, you know, you're actually trying to get work in to get better. So from that perspective, I buy in. But, you know, I mean, if you're working out every day, you're going to get bigger, stronger, just naturally. So I, I don't know how, on, in terms of that what the results are going to show. Usually that takes a couple years. But I definitely do buy in the fact that they want to be there. Yeah, we're all jaded. Uh, fans, media, everybody in terms of every offseason has been, you know, supposedly the greatest offseason ever. Right. The difference here would be kind of like what you alluded to is that the players actually – like being in the gym and being in the weight room with with Drew Wilson around now, exactly how does that translate to the field? It, it's difficult to kind of quantify that, but there's got to be some positive reflection of that on the field. You would you would assume? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, some of those guys that maybe didn't work out quite as hard before because they didn't enjoy being in there with the previous strength coaches. Um, you know, maybe they're in there a little working a little bit harder. You start to see a little more depth, maybe in terms of size on the team, but it's really hard to say until we get to watch them up close. So The linemen are the biggest guys that had an issue with the former strength coach and uh, you would think have the biggest in terms of gains to make uh, under the new strength coach. Before we get into our mailbag and our camp preview here, we do have some new recruiting news to talk about. Since our last show just a couple weeks ago, Colorado's gotten four more commits. I, should I play the Raining Commitments song again? <laughs> yeah, I think everyone liked that. I got a lot of I got a lot of people texting me that he couldn't believe that you did that, and I was like, I couldn't either. So, all right, we'll throw that in. <laughs> commitments. 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 Amen. 
So three of these guys that have jumped on board since our last show are, th are three-star prospects, one two-star to join the mix. The two-star is Morel Osling. Main reason there is he's a was projected as a quarterback. That's the position he's grown up playing. Is expected to play cornerback for the Buffaloes. Joe Tumpkin saw him running around doing back, defensive back drills this spring. Colorado staff really likes this guy. Obviously, they took him as a commitment. Uh, in terms of film, there's just not film out there of Osling at cornerback yet, so it's a little bit more of a mystery commit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he was actually a three-star in one of the four major sites, so um, somewhere somebody liked him quite a bit. Um, sounds like he's going to play a little bit of corner this year, which, you know, so we'll get we'll know pretty quickly whether or not he translates. Um, I think people are hyped about him mostly, though, because he's just a really good athlete. I mean, California triple jump, right? Champion? Correct. Yeah. State I mean, champion. Yep. you got to be athletic to win some type of an event like that, um, especially in California. A triple jump is usually a pretty good indicator of natural raw um, elite athleticism. So from that perspective, you know, they have to love what they see. They think they can mold them into something special. Shamar Hamilton, a defensive prospect that committed to Colorado from ASA College in Miami. Also kind of an unknown quantity at this point, but yet he's a three-star prospect. Uh, I, I think a big part of that is just the fact that he's got upside, only one year of playing football at the high school level was a defensive tackle, goes to ASA College. They put him at tight end initially, um, and he really found his niche last season playing defensive end. Uh, he's playing in a, in a four-man defensive front there in the junior college level. The question is at this point, is he going to be an outside linebacker when he gets to Colorado, or is he going to put the weight necessary to play with his hand in the ground? Yeah, I mean, I've honestly never heard of the school that he played for, which is difficult to do, especially in Florida. Um, so it's kind of an interesting commit. Uh, I'd love to sit down with the coaching staff and kind of find out exactly where and how they found him and, uh, like, the story behind it. But Joe Tumpkin is uh, friends with one of the coaches there at ASA College. Okay, well, nice. Um, I, think he's, I think they all said he's the first D1 recruit from there as well. Uh, I, I saw that okay. somewhere running around. The, in, on the internet. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy who looks like he has a lot of potential. Um, again, you already mentioned that he's only played a couple years of football. Sometimes that works out great. Sometimes it doesn't. You, you never really know. But um, after watching film, every, pretty much everybody around the board bumped him up to a three-star. So there's something to like there for sure. I think the best case scenario would be if he was to come in in January and put on a lot of weight and be somebody that can be a pass rusher, you know, down on the D-line, given that based on, we're going to do this later, we're going to look at the depth chart. The starting defensive line looks like it's going to be all seniors, so you're going to want to bring in some reinforcements. Yeah. Um, and Juco guys, as we saw two years ago, uh, can really help kind of bolster your depth on, on the D-line. William Sherman, uh, this is one of those guys that had a lot of options, uh, was high on Mississippi State in Houston and comes out to Colorado for the barbecue, falls in love, and uh, a day later he's a, a Colorado commit. Uh, one of the more exciting commitments for Colorado. Yeah, definitely. He's a road grader, uh, just another one of those linemen that people, you know, people are obviously concerned about the lineman recruiting early on in the process. We told everybody to be patient. Uh, it's worked out pretty well <laughs> since then for us, I would say. Had a lot of big-time offers. Uh, another kid from Texas, big program. You know, he's he's a guy that they're going to put on the inside and let punish some guys opposite of him. So it's going to be fun to watch him. He's got a chance to be really special. Now uh, the missing piece there on the O-line is Casey Roddick. You, you saw Tyler Lytle tweet out a picture with, with Heston Page, William Sherman, Casey Roddick. 
and uh, Grant Pauly. Those, that is a solid group right there. And props to Heston Page and Matt McChesney. He fit in physically with those guys. Yeah, definitely. That was actually an eye-opening picture for me as well. It's just like, wow, he's a, he's a big boy. Because you look at some of those other kids and you're like, damn, those are, they could, they're ready to play right away. And then Heston was standing next to him. He's, he's getting big for sure. So from that perspective, it's nice to see. Um, yeah, we'll see if Casey Roddick joins the show or not. Uh, he probably doesn't have a whole lot of time to hold off at this point, the way we're getting commitments. But uh, um, I think they'll try to find a way to keep a spot open for him, for sure. And you got uh, Tim Lanat, a young guy, taking over that will eventually move into center. You've got a guy like Aaron Hagler that everyone's excited about to tackle. There's some young guys, in, in, including these verbal commitments, uh, some, some reason for optimism about the future of the, the offensive line. And the other guy here that uh, has committed recently, Nate Landman, a linebacker from Danville, California, really excels as an outside linebacker in high school, will project kind of, as he describes it, kind of a cross between an outside and inside linebacker, Colorado, that role that Kenneth Olobode plays. Yeah, he's a missile. I mean, watching him on film is pretty fun. He likes to get in the backfield for sure. He likes to wreak a lot of havoc back there, cause problems. There's a lot of a lot of plays where he makes nice secondary uh, moves to bring down quarterbacks on the run too. So um, he was a really impressive film. Uh, pretty much half the Pac-12 has offers out to him. So another guy that's really helping the overall look of the commit list. It's funny you bring that up that he has offers from like half the Pac-12. After he committed to Colorado, I had a guy, a Washington fan, tweeting at me uh, on saying that those offers weren't legit. And uh, he was talking about his sources, and you know how, like, you have your handle on Twitter, like, mine's AdamCM777, yours is TZiskBuff, but then you put your real name to, like, where it shows in highlight if you're on, on TweetDeck, right? Yeah. His, his, what showed in where, what, what should have been his real name, it said Sweet Chimichanga. And I'm having a guy, <laughs> I'm having a guy named Sweet Chimichanga tell me that he's got better sources than me, that, that I'm reporting false information. So, it's just funny that... I never got these tweets from other fan bases until like this year. And it kind of reminds me of a quote that uh, Darren Cheverini had in uh, a story by Andy Ventura. And he said, I can tell we're making some headway in recruiting because when people start talking bad about you, it shows they're a little threatened. Yeah. I'm noticing that on my Twitter, and it's just kind of funny. I actually like engaging with these people because it's like, I mean, come on, sweet chimichanga. What, what, what are you doing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, who, I don't know who has that much time in the day to go talk about somebody else's commit like that. But I had a BYU fan, this, too, and I, and I wrote this down. In my tweet breaking the, the story of Nate Lamont's commitment, I, I put just a one-word quote from Nate, and it said everything in terms of what sold him on CU. And this BYU fan tweeted at me, he said, it must be weed, nothing else is going on for CU. So that's another example of these bitter fan bases out there. It doesn't surprise me that much. I don't really like it. I tweeted back to him, I go, well, obviously you've never been to Boulder. Yeah, I've never, uh, not a big fan of BYU, shall we say. They're, you know, for, for a Mormon fan base, man. Oh, they're the worst. Yeah, they are. They're the most hypocritical, oh, I'm not going to get into it. I don't like them at all. <laughs> Well, we are recording this on Monday morning, and Carson Wells, one of the Colorado's uh, remaining linebacker targets out there in Florida, is set to announce Tuesday night. We got a chance to both see him at the Under the Lights camp, and uh, he won the, the fastest man competition there among both the linebackers and then uh, with the linebackers and quarterbacks. Yeah, he definitely jumped out as a guy with impressive speed. Um, in the linebacker drills, he was definitely a guy that we pointed out early on as one of the top two or three, we thought as well. Um, probably doesn't move quite as well laterally as he does straight up, straight north and south. Um, but that can come with time, and he's impressive in terms of 
rushing the passer and getting straight up and down the field. So uh, he's a guy that we know that based on what Levitt was saying at the camp was really, really high in Carson Wells. He's not going to be a guy that wows you in terms of offers or rating at this point, but we'll see how it goes. I know everyone will freak out because they always do. We, we take someone at this level, but when you're going to sign 25, 28 kids somewhere in there, you're going to have a few of these few of these project types that you uh, see a lot of potential in. So he's going to be another one of those guys, and we both got to see him with our own eyes, and he's pretty good. If he does commit to Colorado, it's going to be interesting, kind of the numbers game. Yeah, they, they do have quite a few remaining scholarships at this point. I, I think they're going to sign more than 25, somewhere around 28, being able to count some guys back like a Shamar Hamilton, uh, other guys that are going to early enroll. But you still got uh, Fuvia Fuvia, you've still got Malik Horton, you've got some other really talented linebackers. At some point, you keep filling up this class. I guess it's a good problem to have when, when you like the majority of your commitments on paper, but they're going to have to turn some guys away at some point. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're pretty close to getting to that point. I mean, there's, we've been talking off the air a little bit. There's one or two spots left at a lot of positions, so it's going to be interesting to see who pulls that trigger quick enough. And there's a new rule now that allows for coaches, college coaches, to retweet and like tweets from recruits. Uh, I, I don't like this, and I'm kind of thinking of the coaches. They've got enough on their plate. Now they got to sit there and retweet and like tweets all day? Yeah, I'm, I don't really like it either. There's going to be a lot of flooded timelines out there because a lot of it, especially, I actually, I kind of have a policy myself that I don't follow any recruits until they commit. Um, so from that perspective, it'll help me out a little. But I'm very jealous of you. <laughs> yeah, but everybody else who follows all the targets, um, like you're just going to get the same tweet ten times. It's just going to be brutal. So yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. But we'll see. Uh, Is there any benefit to this? I don't really get don't, the rule. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Outside of the fact that it highlights the kids in your class a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like you, you used to not be able to name the guys until they signed, and now you can't really name them. But by retweeting. A lot of these kids, you can talk. You know, it's like, oh, this is who we're targeting. This is who we're going after. Yeah, I guess there would. There's no secret as to who the top targets are now. Yeah. So from that perspective, I think maybe it'll be interesting. I kind of hope it dies off. You know, like I think it'll be a big time rush to prove, oh, well, this is we care about this kid a lot. But at the end, it'll just be like, oh, I actually liked this tweet two months down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I'm a little leery about how it's going to work out, though. Well, uh, we're a few days away from camp opening, not too far be before the college football season starts, so that's what's on everybody's mind. But you can't forget about men's basketball recruiting because this is the time now that the July evaluation period has ended. Prospects, this for right now, the class of 2017, these guys are narrowing their, their list. They're setting up their official visits, and they're going to start taking their official visits out in the fall. Tyler Bay has already set an official visit with the Buffs for the September 8th weekend. I found out just yesterday that Deshaun Schwartz uh, from Sand Creek High School down there in the Springs area, one of Colorado's top targets, is going to be in town the same weekend. Uh, both those guys, Colorado fans, are doing backflips if either one of them commits. Yeah, definitely, especially since they're coming out together. That's probably some reason to get excited for sure. Um, we've long been considered Deshaun Schwartz's favorite I mean, he's got a couple other schools he's looking at pretty heavily, but I think most people feel pretty good about where we stand there. Um, Tyler Bay, what's I think what's really exciting about him in combination with Schwartz is that he's a totally opposite player. I mean, they're a perfect combination for each other. Um, so if you're able to start your class with two top 100 guys, both four stars, um, that do a lot of things really well, but not, they don't do the same thing really well, like you could easily put them on the floor together and be successful. Uh, that's pretty exciting for me. I mean, those two are really, really talented. 
Yeah, I would, we've mentioned it before. I would be really surprised if Schwartz doesn't end up in Boulder. Tyler Bay, there's a lot of confidence out in San Diego. The San Diego State Aztec fans seem to think that he's theirs to lose. We'll find out. Um, of course, they're selling the, the Kawhi. You can be our next Kawhi Leonard. Sure. And he's that type of player. He's definitely a San Diego State type of player, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not just Kawhi. Pretty much every year they have somebody like that on their team, a Malik Pope or whoever else it may be, super long, super athletic, uh, crazy defender type skills. They have those guys year in and year out. I mean, Kawhi is obviously the biggest one in the NBA that everybody knows about. But that's – I mean, you look at – that Kawhi type player, that's how they build their program. That's what Those are the type of guys they have on their squad every single year. So, I mean, it definitely makes sense that he would feel comfortable there as well. And then uh, Ethan Chargois, a forward from the state of Oklahoma, is uh, most likely to take an official visit to Colorado. He took an unofficial uh, to Colorado not too long ago and uh, fell in love with Boulder then. Malik Andigo, he's a, a, a big man from Arizona that uh, Colorado got in the mix for during July that uh, – will most likely um, take a visit out to Colorado as well. And then I'm in love with this guy, Tyler. Evan Batty, he's 6'7", 280 pounds of awesomeness on the basketball court. <laughs> yeah, actually, so you texted me about him last night. So when I was doing all my paperwork at the end of the night, I threw on the videos at like 3.30 in the morning <laughs> um, at work last night, and I was sitting there smiling as well. So he's pretty awesome. Um, he wasn't quite as big as I was expecting based on your tweet, but he still is definitely a big boy to be playing basketball. Um, but he's got skills, man. He's really natural jumper. Um, had a couple amazing dribbles to get open by himself at the top of the key, step, uh, fall away jumpers. So I was, it was enjoying, it was enjoyable to watch him play for sure. Probably won't be dunking on anybody though. <laughs> You know, he re I've seen a lot of comparisons on the message board of people comparing him to other big players, and I haven't seen this comparison made yet. I see a lot of Glenn Big Baby Davis in his game. Yeah, I can see that, for sure. Yeah, that's. I mean, that would be awesome. He was great in college, Yeah. so similar style. He's got, I was looking at his offer list, he's got a bunch of legitimate offers as well, so it would be interesting to see how, how serious he is about taking a look at us. I don't ask for much, Tyler. I just want Batty to be a buff so bad. I want to cover his career. Let's do it. Make it would it be like a, a Christmas present come early. My birthday's in, in, in uh, October. Maybe it'll be an early birthday present. You can tell them that's how you feel about them. <laughs> get, a, get an edge in recruiting. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump into the mailbag here. First, some sad news. Uh, we mentioned on a previous podcast that Tom Kinsler was suffering from complications due to a brain aneurysm. Unfortunately, was not able to recover from that. Passed away not too long ago here. His, his funeral is going to be this Saturday. Uh, good friend of mine uh, really enjoyed getting a chance to meet him while he was on the beat and uh, it's just too like the one the only positive that comes out of a death is that you get to reflect on all the positive things and, and the outpouring of support has just been amazing to see from all his friends and family but it's still so fresh it's hard to even really have that perspective yet so rest in peace Tom yeah rest in peace and then uh, some sad news regarding the original coach Mac Bill McCartney uh, his family released a statement here right before we started recording this podcast that uh, he's got late onset dementia Alzheimer's family family basically wanted to get that out there because coach Mack is out there he goes to Panera Bread every morning interacts with people around there uh, goes to see you games and, and loves talking to fans and goes out golfing he's around town all the time and I think the family just wanted to make sure that people knew hey this is going on so that if he acts a little bit strange or differently or doesn't remember certain things, not to t take it personally, basically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, I guess maybe not the, the you know, he's getting up there in age now, so, 
you know, it's one of those things that you just have to deal with as time goes on. But it's, you know, it sucks. I mean, you want to see your legends live forever, but it's just not how it goes. Definitely. Well, let's move along here and get into the mailbag. You have questions and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. JDub925 asked, who is your choice for most improved player on offense and defense heading into the year? Tyler, lead us off here. Uh, so offensively, I actually put Cepho. Me too. Um, okay, nice. That's actually good. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's what every um, Colorado fan wants to hear. Oh, yeah, that. for sure. Um, I think that he's – people are a little still a little too concerned about the injury for me based on what we've seen. He's looking pretty healthy. And I'm going to buy into the fact that he struggled a lot last year due to that shoulder injury. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I think if we get more sophomore Cepho instead of junior Cepho, people are going to be overall pretty satisfied about how this team turns out. There's a lot more talent on this team, both offensively, especially defensively. Um, so if he, you know, we, if he can improve that offense back to where we kind of thought it was going to be last year, I think we'll be in pretty good position. So for me, he has a chance to really step up. I like his attitude this offseason too, and I think it might have helped a little bit that he got to step back from football for a minute. And then, yeah, he was rehabbing, so it's not like he was just sitting on the couch and not doing anything. But he seems kind of re, almost refreshed. I, I think the pressure almost got to him a little bit in, in previous years because he does care so much. He's so much more relaxed and comfortable right now than he's ever been since he got on campus. Uh, he's got a smile and he, he'll wink at you. It's like he kind of knows something you don't. You know, he's just got got this confidence about him. So to add on to the reasons that you think he's going to be improved, I, I just like his mental where he is at right now mentally. Defensively, who you got? Um, well, I just switched it because I had a revelation. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do Derek McCartney, okay. um, the guy that you can see the natural talent against teams that aren't quite as good. I think he's old enough, mature enough now that he's really gonna be able to take that step against Pac-12 opponents as well. He's one of those guys that I think everybody last year saw the talent and was kind of like, well, where's the production towards the end of the stretch? And I think this year we're going to see that from him. So he has a chance to be special, and I think this is the year he starts to get it done. All right, I'm going to go uh, Tim Coleman on defense, a guy that is not going to necessarily start, but he's going to be in that defensive line rotation. He's going to play quite a bit, and I think he's going to wreak some havoc in there with his pass rushing ability on the three-man defensive line. I think he's going to have a good season now. The issue with him has been staying healthy, but it seems like he's healthier than he's been since his junior year of high school right now. So I'm going to take the optimistic view there and uh, say that Tim Coleman has a really good year. C. Bardeen wanted to know how long until they'll identify a starting five on the offensive line. And he said, I hope we don't platoon rotate offensive linemen this year. Amen to that. Yeah, it's, I'm tired of seeing that as well. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with injuries, so... You know, kind of hope and pray as well that we stay healthy because obviously you're going to be rotating guys in and out if there's some injury concerns. But uh, you can answer the question. Better well, you've got so. going into camp three co-starters listed on the offensive line, so you know that they're going to open that competition up for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the camp schedule. I would probably say like August 22nd, and that's when your kind of classes are starting. That's kind of when you're getting into the the prep for CSU. Mm -hmm. I think at that point you want to kind of hammer it down and have. 
your top five and then kind of know who your back reserves are at that point. So everyone kind of knows they're rolling. You stop cross-training at that point. I would think that would be a pretty decent date to get there. Yeah, I would agree that you want to have like a couple weeks before the season starts. So really, this is what your role on the team is going to be. So start preparing for that moment. Um, you want to have the five solidified starters. And then usually I like to see at least four really well-pronounced backup options as well. So a lot of the time, the first tackle off the bench is going to go left and right. So that's why I say four or five uh, instead of five. Um, and then you have guys that you would put in at each guard spot and center as well. Um, so the, ideally, that's how it would break down. I don't know necessarily that's how they're going to do it. Uh, we'll see if anybody separates in camp. If we're able to go and watch, we'll try to watch that stuff for you guys and see um, see what see what we see. But um, for now, I guess, yeah, I mean, ideally you'd look at a couple weeks. All right, Buff Nick. Wanted to know, can you talk about the different position groups where newcomers, freshmen, or JUCOs will need to make an impact? What's great about this question is the answer kind of makes you realize this program is healthier than it's been in a long time. Because previous years, you get asked that question, immediately there's two positions, you just rattle off, you go, yep, true freshmen are going to have to make a big impact here. Mm. This year, it's more like in depth areas as opposed to right. guys needing mm -hmm. to start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, That's kind of how I looked at it as well. I was trying to find positions on the depth chart where we were maybe one or two deep. Uh, beyond that, you're playing walk-ons. That's not what you want to see, of course. So I had four listed, three on the defensive side of the ball, um, corner, safety, and linebacker. Um, especially linebacker was the one that sticks out to me, um, the safety positions as well, um, just because that we, we've seen some injuries there. Um, and then the last one that I put offensively was wide receiver. Um, Nobody that needs to be starting, but just in terms of depth, maybe some five wide receiver sets, you'd like to see a few of those guys have an impact. So those are the four positions that I noted. Yeah, the biggest one for me is just the backup cornerback spots because if you have Cheeto at nickel, Akella Witherspoon and Isaiah Oliver at your starting cornerback spots, that's it in terms of scholarship guys, that uh, of players coming back from spring ball because they didn't move Nick Fisher back to primarily to safety. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to have two of those Three true freshmen that, that are coming in, Ronnie Blackman, Trey Udofia, and um, Karan Baham. Yeah, because uh, you got Alpha Lobby in that nickel you know, situation as well, and he's also a safety. So you know you need some cornerback help when two of your major nickel options are, sa are really safeties. Yeah, and then uh, backup Jack Linebacker. I think Drew Lewis, a Juco guy, could be a, a potential uh, piece that would play there. He mm -hmm. uh, obviously started at Washington, so he's got got his feet wet a little bit at the Pac-12 level. It shouldn't be a, a huge shock to him what he's going to experience this fall. My prediction is that only five true freshmen see action this fall, and I would say two of those three freshman cornerbacks, and also because you're going to need them on special teams, Bo Bishrat, Johnny Huntley, and Anthony Jewel Meese were the guys I, I envision playing this year. Nice. I mean, that would be a good sign, I think, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the one other position that I really noted is like, oh, we need some depth there is that outside linebacker spot that Jimmy Gilbert's manning right now. Behind him, you have Tyler Hennington, who hasn't played in a couple of years, and Sam Benyon, who also hasn't played in a couple of years. So you would like to see someone kind of fill into that role um, maybe as well. So we'll see how they move the depth chart around. I mean, I think you might see maybe like a Ryan Severson move out there. Well, the, well. the thing, though, is that you're going to be a nickel most of the time. So you're going to kind of be platooning Derek McCarty and Jimmy Gilbert in that kind of spot, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you were if you were playing a base three four, all, and that, that's what they list as their base defense. But if you were playing that most of the time, I would totally agree that that would be a huge weakness. I think the fact that just with these spread offenses, you're probably only going to have one outside linebacker on the field most times. You would think. Yeah. Black and gold, Josh. 
asked, with the recruiting success they have been having and general enthusiasm around the program, do you sense a heightened boomer bust pressure in the building around the coaches? Uh, I've, I've more sense a kind of a quiet confidence with this staff. That said, when you get into the coaching industry, you know what you're signing up for. And they realize this is year four that there's, there's some pressure there. There's no question. Yeah, I actually feel the opposite, though. Uh, rather than a boomer bust type situation, I think they're kind of giving themselves some leeway, especially with, with this class. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, if we don't win, a lot of these guys will drop off. I really don't feel that way at all. Um, you talk about how these kids have been recruited and what they say in interviews. They all understand that they're trying to be that first class that really changes a program. So, that, you know, they know what they're getting into. It's not like they're expecting us to go 10-2 and two this year. That's not the vibe you get from the guys that are coming in. So, for me, it's uh, almost are you willing to get, ri to get rid of the start of something special in order to make yet another change in this program? Uh, we'll see. Uh, we've definitely heard from Rick George that he expects big things to happen this year. But in the end, I think that it's going to be tough to make that decision in the end because the, this class really can be a game changer. Golf Pro Buff asked, how often do players hang out at the Champion Center versus at home? Does that differ among those in dorms and off-campus situation? Well, they get to the Champion Center pretty early, like 5, 6 in the morning. Um, and this is even in the off-season when they're just doing strength and conditioning stuff. And then they're there pretty much through, like, I would say like around 5, 6. And uh, actually, I was talking to uh, Katie Basin the academic advisor up at CU uh, for the football program. And she was talking about how McIntyre is really big on wanting the players to be done with all of their obligations, including tutoring and study hall and all that stuff around dinner time, so that they can enjoy being a college student, which is kind of refreshing to hear because the previous coaches would have practices in the evening and those kids just were worn out at the end of the day. I would imagine some of the kids in the dorms would maybe hang around the Champion Center a little bit longer. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, Dorm life isn't exactly like having your own house on camp, off campus or whatever. So, I mean, I think it just depends on what's going on, what time of the year it is. I mean, obviously, fall camp, you're going to see kids hanging around more often. But, you know, it's, it's I don't really know how to answer the question, honestly, because we don't really follow their social lives. It's hard to really, you know, box them into this one specific category. But, yeah, I mean, just in terms of do I want to go back to my dorm room or do I want to play video games with the, my teammates and have food options, most people are probably hanging out at the yeah. Champion Center in that situation. Well, no question they're hanging around the facilities more now than they yeah, did a couple yeah. of years ago. There's no question about that. The real HR buff wanted to uh, get some interviews on this podcast, and, and we're not going to do that today. That's my focus, basically, for the next four weeks is interviews with players, coaches. I'll catch up with Drew Wilson and all that good stuff. So uh, you're going to be flooded with more interviews than, than you can handle here in the coming weeks. So we'll, we'll get that for you, HR buff. And then uh, Redej, is that how you would pronounce that? I have no idea. I think it's Josh Reedy, isn't that? Isn't that who that is? Okay, I'm, per I'm okay. pretty sure that's okay. who that is. So I think it's Reedy, and then it's, I think I'm pretty sure that's Josh. Okay, Reedy. he wanted game by game predictions. We're going to do that on our post camp preseason show. Um, just a little bit better to do that as we get closer to the actual games. Let's jump into our next topic here, and it, it's going to be uh, I think is this around the horn that does buy or sell? Is that what um, I stole this from? Around the horn. Does buy or sell, yeah. We're going to do a, a CU version of buy or sell. We've got a handful of topics here. And I'm going to let you lead off on all these, Tyler. Okay. Sefo Lufau should be limited in camp for precautionary reasons. Buy or sell? Um, I will buy that at the start. Does that count? 
<laughs> I'll say uh, I would give him a couple weeks to kind of get his feet wet before they really start letting him go full go. Um, but they kind of do that with the quarterbacks anyway in fall camp. I mean, they have the red jerseys on. They're not getting hit a whole lot. So from that perspective, I think he'll be pretty protected. Uh, but they do need to get him ready because he's going to have some rust. He's been out for a while. So I'll buy it, but only just to be cautionary at the first week or two of camp. I'm going to sell it. Sefo's fine. <laughs> he's like fine. It. He's fine. Now, quarterbacks don't get hit in practice, so you're not worried about yeah. that. It's a little bit different like with an Addison Gillum. All right, the next topic, we're going to stick on Sefo Lufau here. Buy or sell, Sefo Lufau should be used less on design runs this season as compared to last fall. Obviously, they used that a lot in short yard situations last year. Right, I'm going to sell it. It worked really well. It's not really how he got hurt. I mean, it's. You, I guess he got beat up a little bit, but it's more of those drop back passes where we were just – turnstiling the defensive lineman and letting him just get these huge shots off. He's a big body. He can handle the rushing stuff. I, I would like to see that continue. It was one of the most successful things they implemented last year. I'm actually going to go the opposite of you again here and say bye. You've got short yardage guys like a, a George Frazier that should be utilized more. Um, I think Philip Lindsay has slowly progressed into a guy that can pick up tough yards. Uh, I, I want to keep Cepho Lufau healthy if I'm Colorado and I know he's a big boy, and, and he actually didn't get hurt on you know a design run. It was a fluke play. I get that. But I, I just think he's too important to this football team. I'm not saying he can't ever run, but I'm going to definitely dial back the number of design runs for him this season if it was my call. Buy or sell, Philip Lindsay will rush for 1,000 yards this fall. Sell. Uh, it's a platoon system. They are going to use a lot of guys. He very easily could lead the team in yardage, but I'd be surprised if anybody gets to 1,000 this year. Yeah, I sold as well just because he's. I don't think he's going to have the number of carries to do that. Buy or sell, Devin Ross will have more touchdown grabs than drops. Sell, and I don't think there are too many guys around the country that have more touchdowns than drops in, in college. I would be surprised. He, he'll probably have 10 drops and 6 touchdowns. So less than a drop a game, I think people would probably be okay with that. Buy or sell, Samson Kafavalu will stay out of trouble and play in all 12 games, barring injury. Uh, bye. I mean, I feel like he's pretty much stayed out of trouble the last year or so. What he's in trouble for right now, I've, we've discussed this many times. I think it's a joke. Um, so, yeah, I see no reason why he will um, struggle to stay, uh, you know, stay on the field. I bought as well, and, and part of that is that they've identified the problem. It's obvious that Samson Kafavalu just can't handle drinks. I mean, it... It just does not end well for him, so they got him in treatment, and, and uh, he's done everything he needs to this offseason, so I'm going to buy there. And, and I really, really hope this is something that he can kind of carry on after CU because for sure, based off his recent issues, you kind of worry about him long term, you know. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, if the, you know, the drinking thing is obviously a concern, so you want to have people around him that make him realize that that's the case. Have we heard anything about... I mean, suspension-wise, are we still waiting to hear there? Is he good to go? We have not. I would be surprised if he's suspended. Okay. Buy or sell, Addison Gilm will lead the Buffaloes in tackles in 2016. You know the answer. Sell. <laughs> he's got to prove he can stay healthy for me. It's as simple as that. I'm buying. Well, I hope you're right. I'm, st I'm still on the Addison Gilm train. I hope you're right. I mean, you know that I do. But until I see him stay healthy three or four games in a row, I'm just not going to buy it. Buy or sell, Diego Gonzalez will make at least 75% of his field goals this season. And uh, for comparison's sake, he was 62% in 2015. Uh, I sold it, but I do think he'll be a lot better. 75% uh, is... 
It's actually just about average in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I think for I was thinking more about seventy for him. I mean, he's I think he's below average kicker, um, but I think he can be better. They obviously have said that they've worked out a lot of his issues on the hash. Um, we'll see, but I think you know for now I would say comfortably if you if the answer if you asked me if it was seventy percent I would have bought it. Seventy five was kind of right on the edge, so I sold. Okay, I'm gonna buy and. Uh, Part of that is Diego Gonzalez came in pretty raw as a kicker. He had quite a bit to work on and improve, and he's slowly done that. And I like the mental makeup of him. He seems like the type of kid that can can bounce back from a miss and not let it affect him like some other kickers that, that struggle at the college level. Um, I went on the more optimistic end uh, with, with some of these buyer sales, so, so we'll see. Let's move on to our next topic here, and we're going to do some depth chart predictions. We're going to go position by position and predict how we think the depth chart will look after camp. Uh, we have the depth chart uh, going into camp in front of us right now. And I guess, Tyler, let's just go position by position here, like I said, and start out with X wide receiver. I have a question before we start. Sure. Are we trying to include freshmen and guys like Juwan Winfrey? Are we plugging them in Absolutely. Here? Cool. Let's do it. All right. And Juwan Winfrey will be a guy we need to plug in here. And I'm going to put him number one. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's what the staff would like to see, uh, is that Juwan Winfrey comes in and starts right away. Right now, they have... On the depth chart, we see we have Bryce Bobo um, on top. Uh, you'd like to see Juwan Winfrey come in and overtake there. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, we'll see where people fit in. I know you talked a little bit about Johnny Huntley maybe being in, t- in this position as well. But, uh, yeah. If Juwan Winfrey is the real deal and everything we're hearing this summer is that he is, uh, yeah, I think he's number one there. If Bryce Bobo is uh, number two, that's a good depth piece there. And, and For sure. KB and Ento and Johnny Huntley are going to probably battle for that third spot. If not, maybe one of those guys moves to a different receiver position. But you've got pretty solid depth there, one through four, if that's how it shakes out. Z receiver, obviously Shea Fields number one. There's no debate there. Uh, what's interesting going into camp, Lee Walker's behind him, and then you've got some walk-ons behind him. I don't know. They might shuffle the deck a little bit here, I think, to get more depth in that Z receiver. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, we just kind of mentioned it. I think that whoever wins or loses that battle between KB and Ento and Johnny Huntley will get slid into that backup role in Z. Um, obviously, it'll depend a little bit on the package they're using on the field, which guy goes out there. Goal line, you'll probably see a little bit more Johnny Huntley, I would think. But yeah, I think either way, you got to feel pretty good about where you are there. I mean, those are two... We've seen Ento a little bit, and what we expect from Huntley, that's pretty solid backup options at Z. Lee Walker's not a guy we talk a whole lot about. Blazing speed. But that's kind of he seems to kind of be a one-trick pony a little bit in that regard. But, I mean, that's a weapon that you need sometimes on the field. So he'll see some playing time. And uh, at H receiver, which is slots, Devin Ross, of course, number one. Jay McIntyre, number two. A guy that's not listed here that's going to factor kind of into this role is Dylan Keeney as a big slot receiver. Yeah, definitely. Um, they have him obviously at tight end on the on the chart. Um, yeah, I think again, you'll if you're looking at freshmen, this is a place that um, Anthony Joel Misi will probably find himself in as well. Yeah. So we'll see how it all shakes out with that. But I mean, you've got two two scholarship guys, and then they have four walk-ons listed. So you'd think at the very least he'll be sitting at third there. Um, they've got Donovan Lee obviously pretty much primarily at running back now. Will be interesting to see if they do maybe slot him out just to give the. Guys I don't think a so. Look. I think he's full tailback now going forward. Um, but at H receiver, I think in a perfect world you want Devin Ross to kind of take a strong spring into the fall and be maybe out on the field seventy five percent of the time. Yeah, uh, you like Jay McIntyre as kind of a a twenty five percent on the field. Obviously, he's not probably starting material at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if Devin Ross struggles with the drops, all of a sudden this position is. 
not as strong as you were anticipating, obviously, and uh, I think it would open the door for Anthony Joel Meese, who you mentioned. For sure. And I will say, I mean, Devin Ross, it seems like has worked really hard. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that has the most reliable hands on the team or anything, but those those drop issues, I think, will at least be mitigated to some degree this year. I mean, he's going to drop some. You don't expect otherwise, but I think for the most part, that's that um, issue has been shored up enough that he should have a pretty successful season. At left tackle, Jeremy Irwin, of course, is an established starter there. There's no debate there. They have Isaac Miller and John Lasella listed his, at his backups. And then on the other side, right tackle going into camp, it's Sam Cronsage or Aaron Hagler in terms of the, the starter on the depth chart with Dylan Middlemiss behind him. You were kind of talking about how you might have cross-train a guy. I could see like Jeremy Irwin starting left, Sam Cronsage right, and then Hagler maybe being the guy that could go either way. Yeah, either way. I, I, it seems like they really like Miller, um, Isaac Miller to be that next left tackle pillar. Um, so I think they'll probably keep him over there. Maybe Lasella you would see go back and forth in that left and right as well, whichever one of those guys they feel the most comfortable in. But, yeah, I think you'll see – Whoever they love the most, it sounds like Kegler, from what we've heard, would slide over left to right if there was an injury there. One of the more surprising things on this depth chart to me is the fact that Lasella is listed as the third guy at left tackle behind Isaac Miller, a redshirt freshman. McIntyre raved a lot about Lasella's potential last year and, and talked about how it almost made it sound like he was going to be a starter going forward. Clayton Adams takes over that online group and shuffles things around a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, Lasella is a little bit buried on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, it's especially with the linemen, you never really know if this is a motivational play. I mean, it's post-spring. We'll see how it all shakes out. But I do think it's a good sign that someone who's listed at third on the Jeff chart has gotten some credibility from the coaching staff. I mean, he's a guy that he's gotten a lot bigger since his time on campus. So even if he's a four-year guy who never starts, he's going to be a really solid depth piece. At left guard, you've got co-starters listed with Jared Coe and Jonathan Huckins with Josh Kaiser, who's put on some good weight there as the third guy on the list there. And then Colin Sutton, who's now going in his junior year. Colin Sutton, I think, might use this as his senior year. It's clear at this point he's not going to get on the field. Yeah, it definitely sounds like he's gotten passed up throughout. Um, maybe they'll switch him over to right. They only got two people on the depth chart there, but um, we'll have to see. But, yeah, it definitely sounds like he's kind of the odd man out amongst the group at the moment. I would think Co starts over Huckins there. I mean, yeah, he's, he is more comfortable in that role, and I think the, I think for now that that's what they hope is happening. Um, we'll see. But again, Hawkins, solid death piece. He could be he could slide in at right guard as well if they have some issues over there. So, at center, they have Hawkins again listed as a co-starter with Alex Kelly. We talked about this on the Top Buffs Countdown feature we did. You don't. Uh, dedicate as much time as you have to him and developing him and giving him all those reps at center just to throw him as a backup his senior year. He's definitely, his game has had room for improvement, mm -hmm. but it's not like he's been the biggest glaring weakness either. No, yeah, I would have to agree with that. I mean, it'd be pretty surprising if he ended up not starting. Obviously, I think we'll talk about why not in a second. They expect him to move over to center to replace him, but I think it would be premature to make that move this season. And you've got Sully Weefels listed as a third guy there. Um, a senior, so you've got some pretty experienced guys, and all of a sudden they're on the interior of your offensive line. Except at right guard, this is the one place you're bringing in somebody without a ton of experience. But Tim Lana Jr., who uh, drew rave reviews during spring ball, is the young offensive lineman people are the most excited about. And they've got Shane Callahan listed as his backup there. I would imagine that will stick, and that will be the you know, starter and backup going into the season. Yeah, from everything we've heard, that's what they plan to do at that spot. Um, why not 
even last year we were hearing was ready to play. So um, it'd be uh, I mean he's the guy that we want to focus on if we are let into camp. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean they seem to be extremely high on what he's done. Um, to play as a redshirt freshman is pretty rare these days. So he's got to be a special talent. Obviously, no freshman to talk about here. You've got two of the three signees gray shirting, and then Hunter Vaughn, who was yes. supposed to gray shirt, is is on campus, but he'll develop a little bit. This O line in general, it's hard to feel overly positive or negative. It's just kind of one of those groups that. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that separates it from last year is Jeremy Irwin. If he stays healthy, just by being on the field, the offensive line is better than last year, in my opinion. I mean, Nembot obviously had a lot of skills. Um, but made a lot of mistakes as well. Um, outside of that, everybody else is back pretty much, so you would think you're going to be more or less even or on par at all the other positions, plus you're getting your best lineman back. So all in all, I would think it would be a better result than last year, which would be big for the program because obviously you can't have a brutal offensive line and be successful. I love Stefan Nembot, but you're not losing anything there, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean... Maybe on a few plays here and there, but overall you have to feel pretty good about the replacement level that you're getting there. I mean, you know, he's he was a, a guy that, you know, again, everybody loved, but there's a lot of mistakes there. And you kind of always had to make plays to keep him from making those mistakes, you know. You like kind of had to baby him a little bit on that side of the field, so... All right, let's move along to tight end. Uh, again, not much controversy here in terms of Sean Irwin being your number one guy. George Frazier's in that mix. They are both listed in the same grouping here, but they're going to play different roles. Frazier can be a fullback, an H-back. And then Dylan Keeney's listed third on here. Again, we already talked about he's going to be a slot receiver. So this whole group is just kind of, they're listed together on the depth chart, but they're all going to play but in different roles. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it makes it look, A, that we have a lot more depth there than we do, I would say, and B, that there's a lot more guys playing that position than there really are. Irwin is going to be on the field a ton. Uh, in that role, he's probably they feel as confident as him as anybody on the team um, to play his role, in my opinion. So he'll be out there a ton. George Frazier, I think, will I think they learned from their mistakes last year that he did not play nearly enough. They will use him in packages as well. Um, and then there's a few young guys that we like um, coming out of that group, but uh, for now, you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But for now, I expect a lot early. And uh, one guy I think that could see some action in that role that people don't talk about is Chris Hill. Uh, Walk-on that's going to be a senior this year. Might be a candidate to be put on scholarship since they've got a couple open scholarships available. And Chris Bounds, I think, he's a redshirt freshman right now. I think with Sean Irwin entering his last year, it could be a guy that could be a, a depth piece or even a starter down the road. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a guy that I pointed out in camp last year as a true freshman. That was really impressive to me. Um, so I, he's kind of a similar style of player to Sean Irwin as well, so I definitely think you could see him be a uh, major impact guy at the position down the road, but I think this year he won't be asked to do a whole lot. Quarterback, Sefo Lufau, of course, number one. This is where I want to get your thoughts, Tyler. We're going into camp. Jordan Gerke is listed as your backup with Steven Montez listed third. Do you think that sticks? Depends on how the season goes. Um, probably not, though, honestly. I, I think that Montez will... Um, prove to be worthy of that backup role. Um, more and more reps he gets, the better and more comfortable he's going to be. Um, they really want him to obviously take over the position next year once Cepho's gone. So I think he'll be given every opportunity to make that move in the long run. 
I think Jordan Gerke is actually going to be listed as your backup going into the season. I've said this before. I think it just would depend on the type of injury that Sefo got. If like it's his helmet pops off and he has to sit out a play, or he has a slight rolled ankle and they're thinking that he's going to come back pretty soon, I think they roll with Gerke. But if it's like a situation like he had last year with the, the Liz Frank injury or uh, some type of torn ligament or something like that, then I think you roll with Steven Montez. Jaleel Awini is listed fourth. Of course, he's not ever going to be the starting quarterback, but I, I think we'd both be surprised if he's not on the field some in certain packages. Yeah, I thought we were going to use him more at wide receiver this year, so it's almost kind of interesting that he was listed at quarterback. Um, we'll see how it ends up. I just hope he gets on the field and is used. Tailback, of course, Philip Lindsay, number one. Donovan Lee, number two. Michael Atkins, number three. I feel like we're kind of repeating a lot of stuff we did with the top ups countdown. Uh, yeah. Michael Atkins, the most talented, but the least dependable. Donovan Lee, the one, the guy that benefit the most from Patrick Carr transferring. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. It's kind of a three-headed monster now. We'll see how Bo Bishrak comes in and uh, shakes this up a little bit. Obviously, he's a much different back than the other three guys that you see there. So he'll probably be used in different situations, I would think. Um, but, yeah, if you probably feel the most confident about Philip Lindsay getting the most touches right now. Donovan Lee, they'll probably use in uh, – totally different way you know try to get him out in space a little bit more and then Michael Atkins if he's healthy um I would like to see him get you know sporadic touches because he's really electric with the ball maybe keep him a little bit healthier uh but we'll see how it works out it always it always goes a different direction than what we expect preseason with the running backs yeah, so yeah and I'm hopeful that Darian Hagan will as a guy not as a former running back but as a guy that used to run the ball during as a, as a quarterback during his college career and has experience as a running backs coach He's going to have a better feel for how to use these guys. That's one hope that I have in terms of this coaching staff shakeup. Yeah, they're all juniors too. So, I mean, you'll have this problem again next year most likely, but it's just kind of interesting how that all worked out. It's yeah. Been, it's difficult to really find spit, uh, time for all those guys. Moving over to defense, defensive end, uh, or tackle, however you want to look at it with this 3-4 base defense. Jordan Carroll's listed number one with Timothy Coleman as his backup. And you've got a couple of interesting young depth pieces at that position, Frank Umu and Brett Tons. I don't think those guys, barring injury, are going to be on the field a ton this year. But I'm curious to see how Umu and Tons kind of show in camp and uh, how they develop. Because, again, there's seniors and, and upperclassmen across this defensive line. You're going to need some of those young guys next year to step up. Yeah, I mean, especially against probably like an Idaho State. You'd like to see those guys get reps in the fourth quarter, uh, see what you have there. They're all really different players. Uh, Tons has gained a lot of weight since he got on campus. Umu was always just kind of a beast, but grew a lot in high school. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think maybe I'd be a little surprised if Umu doesn't end up moving inside. Uh, I guess we'll see how they use him, and we'll have to see his quickness. So that was kind of always the thing. I thought I always thought he would end up inside, probably. But they could move Umu to quarterback too. Yeah. Oh yeah, cannon. I forgot about that under the lights camp. And he could punt, too. Yeah. So people know what we're talking about. Before the Under the Lights camp started, the players are out on the field before the, uh, the recruits, the camp participants got out there. So they're goofing around. Umu could throw the ball basically as far as Steven Montez. Yeah, we actually, I forget. Was it you to ask Montez about it? Yeah, someone was talking. Yeah, someone was talking to him about it afterwards. He's like, "Yeah, man, I couldn't believe how far he was throwing the ball." And he was punching the ball like yeah. forty yards too. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. He's a good athlete. I wonder if you ever did that punt, pass, and kick competition as a yeah, kid. He would have killed it. Yeah. At nose tackle, Josh Chupo back in the fold. We'll see uh, if he can get that rust worked off during camp. His backup, Jace Frankie, who we talked about in the top of countdown, being a very 
nice complimentary piece there. Yeah, tackle. I think they'll move use him at all three positions as well. Um, the guy that they'll move back and forth to get on the field because they really do like him. We'll see how in shape Tupo is because if they need to find space, uh, snaps, they might be able to just move him in and out, uh, rotate Jackson and Carroll out occasionally as well. Uh, he's a guy you'll, I think you'll see on the field a good amount of snaps. Lyle Tuoma um, probably is a little bit to go. They have him listed at 305, which I find difficult to believe based on what we've seen from him. He's a big boy. Yeah. But um, he's still working to shape that 305 yeah, the way they want it. He's a big dude. I'd be surprised if he was only 305. Eddie Lopez, again, knows tackle. It's kind of surprising to me that he hasn't gotten a little more run than he has. But I mean, those are four huge bodies. So from that perspective, you got to feel pretty good about yourself. The reviews on Lyle Tuiloma last year were that he was a beast on scout team. Um, McIntyre kind of tempered those expectations a little bit. I think ever since the Kenneth Olo buddy, he's really freaking good. <laughs> he doesn't want to like oversell some of these underclassmen. I think yeah, he's going to be pretty or good. Or Evan White saying he was going to fire Charles Clark if he couldn't get him to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Eddie Lopez is a guy that we were really high on because he played as a true freshman, and you just kind of he played decently as well. Yeah, he his issue last year was that he had an ankle injury. And uh, didn't play enough to the where they actually think they're going to get a medical redshirt. So he's listed as a sophomore. So he's still got time. You look at it, Josh Tupo, you know, being a, a senior, Frankie Tuiloma Lopez, there's going to be pretty great competition there going, going into the 2017 season. At the other defensive end slash tackle position, Leo Jackson, of course, kind of an established guy there after performing pretty well last year. Michael Matthews is listed as his backup. That's a little bit of a scary proposition. Yeah, and they also have him listed at 260. So I want to see if that's true because that's, I mean, they have him basically as Jace Frankie. And the last time I saw him and Jace Frankie, they were not the same size. So it'll be interesting to see if he's just had a huge offseason. Yeah, I, again, that's kind of why I talked about you see, you'll probably see Coleman and Frankie slide out to the to that outside spot over, yeah. over Michael Matthews, I would think, if necessary. At outside linebacker Derek McCartney, of course. His backup at that outside linebacker spot is Taron Hasselback. And then be below that, Deshaun Rippey is listed as a, as a co-third string guy with Aaron Howard. Again, going back to a point I made earlier, I think you're going to be in base nickel most of the time. So you're going to have Derek McCartney and then Jimmy Gilbert, who's listed on the other side as the guys that are basically out on the field 95, maybe even more, maybe 99% of the time. When you're in that formation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Hasselbeck as a guy, I feel like is maybe people have given up on a little bit. It's, to see him as only a sophomore, kind of like that surprised me a little bit. It seems like he's been here longer. So he's got a little bit of time. And I do feel like when they have him out there, he is kind of a pretty solid pass rusher. So we'll see if he gets bigger. He's obviously short, so that's the toughest thing for him. But he's a guy that I think maybe not this year, but down the line could be a little bit more of a pass rushing specialist. And Deshaun Rippey, I heard that he had a couple moments, flashes in the spring. We always hear that, though. Yeah, you, you can't depend on that. <laughs> yeah. You can't depend on that. Aaron Howard, though, I will say, is probably the best walk-on on the team. Okay. He's legit. Uh, okay. I'm trying to think of Chris Hills, another walk-on that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. But Aaron Howard is a guy that you always watch in camp and in spring game and stuff. And you're like, wow, he's actually... Not a bad player. All right, up next, let's jump into the inside linebackers. The Jack linebacker, of course, Kenneth Olobode, the starter there. I mentioned earlier in the show, I think you could see Drew Lewis maybe being the backup there, but you do have Ryan Severson, a senior, in there. I, I, you're higher on Severson than a lot of people are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he's um, a guy that you can rely on in a backup role. He's been pretty productive when on the field at linebacker. Uh, good speed. Undersized, though. I mean, 
obviously um, not a guy that you want to start every single game, but someone I am pretty comfortable with in a backup role. Um, Oleg Bodie staying healthy is probably a big uh, big piece of how successful we are this season as well. Um, I feel like the staff is really high on what he's done. Uh, maybe kind of went from overrated to a little bit underrated last year, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I think Drew is... Uh, if he shows up and does what we expect out of him, I think that he'll get a lot of playing time as well, kind of in that rotation. Listed third there going into camp is Travis Talianco, who comes back from that torn ACL. I don't expect to see him on defense, but this will be an important special teams contributor. Yeah, definitely sure. a guy that they expected to be one of their main special teams guys going into last year. So um, it'll be nice to get him back into that role because he's really comfortable there. Mike Linebacker, of course, Addison Gillum, backed up by Rick Gamboa. Christian Shaver listed third there. I would imagine that pretty much holds as, as long as everybody's healthy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Gambo, obviously, a lot of minutes last year. I think led the team in tackles, right? He did. Uh, so uh, another reliable backup there. Uh, if you get down to Christian Shaver, I think that's where it gets a little bit dicey. He's not a guy that I'm super high on. A corner, Chido Beowuze listed there, of course. Uh, even though Afalabi Laguda is listed as number one nickel going to camp, McIntyre flat out told me that Cheeto's their guy there that they're going to use him a lot. And Nickel, I think he will play enough cornerback to get some film for the NFL scouts. So you'll see Cheeto move back and forth. Um, Nick Fisher's listed as a backup at cornerback. But again, I expect those freshmen to come in and be the backups there with Nick Fisher being more of a safety. I, I don't really put a lot of stock into this secondary depth chart that we're, we're looking at going into camp. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces there, especially with the freshmen coming in. Um, yeah, if they're really going to use Cheeto at nickel, which I think is probably the right move, you're going to see a lot of people uh, move back and forth, including uh, Kella Witherspoon, obviously, sliding into more of that natural cornerback starting role. Ryan Moeller starting free safety. Tedrick Thompson, you're starting strong safety. If, all, if both those guys are healthy, which is tough. Safety is a tough position to keep guys healthy at. That's got to be one of the better starting safety tandems in the, in the Pac-12, you yeah, would think. Yeah, they complement each other extremely well. Tedrick more of a hammer type of guy. Um, but seems to find a way to make plays, um, tipping passes, catching. Yeah, they had the most interceptions on the team last year. Um, Ryan Moeller, more of a rangy type guy, but really comfortable coming up against the run. They were both really good last year when healthy, but they've also both got hurt, so it would be interesting to see if we can keep them healthy this year. Afalabe Laguda, the backup to Ryan Moeller at safety, and Nick Fisher, the backup to Tedrick Thompson at strong safety. You love your depth until one of those guys gets hurt, and then all of a sudden you're very worried about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they move Nick Fisher over to safety as well, you feel a little bit better maybe about how we sit there. Um, I just love Afalabi Lakuta, though. He's fun to watch. Um, I love that they put the, the they keep putting that highlight in all the buff videos, uh, the, the highlight videos that they've been coming out the with. UMass hit? Yeah, even though he got ejected. Yeah. They've been putting that in there, so I like that a lot. That's awesome. Love watching him de some guys. And then uh, we've got to talk about Isaiah Oliver at the other cornerback spot. Uh, I confessed in our top ups countdown that I have a man crush on him. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. <laughs> you're, not, you're not alone there. He's awesome. I would say outside of Cheeto, he's probably the next prospect at Colorado that has a chance to go really high. Keller Witherspoon, uh, listed as a backup there, but when you're nickel most of the time, he's going to be kind of a pseudo starter. Um, specialist, Alex Kinney, you're not worried about punter. I'm not going to spend any more time there. We talked about Diego Gonzalez earlier. He's your place kicker. Chris Graham is going to be your kickoff guy. Uh, was a little underwhelmed with him in that role last year. Yeah, but somehow we were among the best in the nation in kickoff coverage despite that. So maybe he's better than we think. I don't really know how that is. But, yeah, you would 
you would think it would just be easier to just boot it through the end zone every single time and not have to worry about it. But It will be interesting to see now that they don't have a full-time special teams coach if that affects anything. Um, the way most college programs do it is the way they're doing it now by splitting up the responsibilities. You're going to have to do that in practice anyways because you can't have one coach uh, when you're out there doing kickoffs, cover, yeah. you know, doing the coverage units and the you know the the return units. Yeah, even last year when we had a designated special teams guy, there were still multiple coaches. When we we're doing special teams work, there's multiple coaches over there, so it just seemed like an even w bigger waste of time to have a special teams guy there. Um, that was one of the things I noticed in fall camp last year. At punt returner, Jay McIntyre's listed as your starter there. He's pretty solid there. Um, I would be very surprised, though, if, like, a Bronny Blackman or a Joe Meese or somebody coming in didn't at least challenge for that spot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll see how much wiggle they have. The thing about Jay is you know he's going to catch the ball every time. So he's kind of got that Nelson Spruce about him. Um, but the added benefit of actually having enough wiggle to uh, create some issues for guys if, you, if he's able to make you miss that first tackle. Kickoff return, they've got Philip Lindsay and Donovan Lee listed there. Again, I would expect one of the freshmen to maybe be in the mix there. Um, if you're going to have Philip Lindsay as your primary ball carrier, uh, I would maybe see uh, benefiting this program to put one of those freshmen back there so that they yeah. not only have a role, but you limit Lindsay's uh, hits. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, yeah I mean, if you have a guy on kickoff return, you know he's not coming out for that first series. Um, you know what I mean? So, I mean, they have to get a couple first downs before you get them back into the game. So it kind of. Um, messes around with your running back rotation, especially since both of these guys that are listed as starters are running backs. I just realized that we screwed up when we talked about the defensive line. We didn't talk about Samson Kafavalu in that mix because he's listed as suspended. We uh, talked about kind true. of being worried about Michael Matthews in that depth piece. It's not an issue if Samson Kafavalu is not suspended. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. That obviously makes us feel a lot, a lot better about the depth there. Um, assuming he's not injured or uh, suspended, which we're based on what we've heard, that's if there is one, it's going to be very minimal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, getting him back obviously is a big piece. Should we talk about Holder and uh, Snapper? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> we are going to sign off here pretty soon. Before we do that, let's have a little fun here, Tyler. Let's talk about some non CU Pac 12 topics here. And I put this on the production plan. I wanted you to give me the top three things, and again, non-CU related, but Pac-12 related, things that you love and hate in the conference. Let's start, uh, let's start on the positive. Let's give a little love out there. All right, so love is Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Uh, definitely my favorite college footballer player to watch since probably Vince Young and Reggie Bush um, that same year. He is electric. Um, especially watching him live last year, his patience is, I've never seen anything like it before. Um, just incredible, man. So incredible balance. He's just incredible to watch. Obviously, added bonus of him being a Colorado prep um, helps as well. But, yeah, he's a special, special player. My number one is the, the tailgating atmosphere at Washington at Husky Stadium. College football, obviously, a lot about traditions. And, uh, you know, if you're doing the traditions, running, Ralphie running has got to be number one. I think in terms of tailgating, Actually being able to tailgate on the lake out there, that's just kind of cool. And you, you can get to the game on boat. You don't have to worry about traffic. It's just kind of a cool atmosphere. I like that. Yeah, it's a uh, place that I've never been. Uh, it's definitely high on the bucket list for me. Um, so I'll have to get out there and watch them because I definitely love tailgating. So any, anywhere, anywhere that tailgates hard, I'm down with. USC is another place that's a good tailgating spot too. What else do you love about us? Uh, second, I had the parity of the league. So just, sure. just how deep the league is. Uh, 
it seems like every single week there's a matchup amongst the, uh, really good teams. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, from 1 to 12, there's anybody's capable of winning in every single week, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of really talented guys in the league. So no matter who, every single week you have a matchup that's fun to watch, which is you don't see that a lot in the other leagues. I wouldn't necessarily say love, but I respect Utah a lot. And, and part of that is I respect Kyle Whittingham and what he's been able to do there. The AD was not backing him for a while, so they, he was having a really hard time retaining assistant coaches, yet they were able to maintain some semblance of consistency within that program. Of course, jumping up to the Mountain West, that was a challenge. They've competed very well, a very respectable program. This flies in the face of a budding rivalry with Colorado. I don't think Colorado fans really have any hate for them. I love going to cover games out there. Rice Eccles Stadium is one of the nicer Pac-12 venues. They cater food for the media. It's this great barbecue. and Salt Lake City, I wouldn't want to live there, but it's kind of an underrated city. I, I actually like Utah more than a lot of people. And uh, again, it just I don't see this rivalry budding anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things that um, everybody, you know, everybody wants us to hate Utah, but all the games have been close. But outside of that, I mean, there's not a whole lot of hatred, I think, amongst the fan bases right now. So Utah's, Utah's definitely one of, one of the programs in the Pac-12 I, I like watching the most. Uh, so my third love is uh, having my brother back at USC. So for those of you who don't know, he was a recruiting coordinator there in the past, kind of second level. Now they brought him back into that uh, main spot. So he's the boss of his previous role now. Um, so it's nice to have him back in the United States. He was living in Norway. Um, it's nice to have him back at USC because I know he loves the job and he's happy to be back. Get a little inside scoop on what they're up to. Um, so it's just nice to have my brother back. Awesome. And uh, my third is something we mentioned on our last show, and it's USC's uniforms. Love them. My yeah, favorite especially uniforms. Especially the helmets. Definitely. They are really awesome, yeah. Some other things that weren't necessarily in my top three, but I like being able to go to Northern California seemingly just about every year for a road trip. I love that area. Mark Helfrich is somebody that is maybe not having the success some people up there wanted, um, but I really like him because he, when he was uh, the offense coordinator at Colorado, he was a really nice guy. And, always wanted success for him um, it's just kind of tough big shoes that he had to try to fill there uh, up in uh, in Eugene but I like him Tempe road trips are probably my favorite right okay now. we always have a good time when we go to Scottsdale Mill Avenue that trip is amongst the favorite with the with the crew for sure I love uh, just saying Juju Smith Schuster just rolls off the tongue <laughs> there you go. it's my favorite name of a player and I, I miss Buck Allen that was fun to say too Buck Allen was nice and uh, Rich Rodriguez I actually like because you know what? He is a prick, but he owns it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I'll buy that, but no, I don't like Rich Rodriguez. On hate, though, I looked at, at what you wrote down there, and we have the same thing. Todd, Todd Graham. Graham. Slimy mother effort. He's just the worst, dude. I just can't look at his face. He looks like a badger. I was actually mad that he got rid of the Britney Spears mic because it made it just that much easier <laughs> to hate the guy. He's part of the reason that we have closed practices at Colorado. They apparently caught a spy, and that week they shut everybody out after that. So I'm kind of frustrated about that. And you look at the you look at the program. Yeah, they've had success, but all the coaches he had on staff when he took over there are gone now. And sure, some of them have gotten you know promotions and better jobs, but there's been a lot of coaches that have left there to get the heck away from Todd Graham. Yeah, it seems there's a lot of turnover in the program amongst the players as well. It seems like not a lot, a whole lot, of, a lot of people actually enjoy playing there. I think it was uh, 
Brian Konigsberg that said this on his podcast that Todd Graham will say nice things about people, but it's it's fake. It really is. Like anytime he has a complimentary thing to say about McIntyre, it's he's just being a snake in the grass, basically. I don't like Todd Graham. It's pretty much the end of that. All right. I also don't like the weather in Oregon during the football season. The last three times, in the last three years, I've gone up there to cover a game, whether it's in Corvallis or Eugene. From the time I touch down to the time I leave, I don't see the sun one time. Yeah, that's depressing. I will say I love Portland and the Pacific Northwest in the summer. I've got family up there. There's absolutely no better place to visit right now. But when football season rolls around, it is uh, kind of a gloomy place, man. Yeah, you. if you want to see me in a really bad mood, just stick me in rain clouds for four days see how I feel uh, so I hate the Pac-12 network I don't know why this is so difficult for them to get it together whether it's the direct TV situation or the fact that they just won't play current games they'll just like play 1978 Arizona State versus some random school because you're in Arizona or whatever it just makes no sense like common sense would suggest you play all the games that are available during the season but they just refuse to do it it's, the whole thing is just a cluster and a pain in the ass to deal with. I also don't like the nine-game conference schedule, and it's if every other conference did it, I'd be fine with it, but I think it really sets the Pac-12 to cannibalize itself more so than some of these other conferences, and you play nine conference games, it's going to be hard for that one program to stand out to get in the college football playoff. I don't like that. Yeah, I do agree um, that it sucks only because of the fact that no one else really does it. Um, everybody actually, should do it. Yeah, I, I, I like it, but I wish that everybody else had to do it as well. I also don't like the Stanford fan base because I don't, they're, they're not passionate enough to enjoy the success they've had recently. Yeah, they don't deserve Christian McCaffrey, let's just put it that way, for sure. Um, I, I don't like Davis Webb. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have to explain that very much. Nope. L.A. traffic, not a fan of that. Yeah. I stayed sure. a couple miles away from the Rose Bowl one year. It took me an hour to get to the game. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, I don't like finishing last in the South, so let's okay. make sure that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I don't like Pullman being out in the middle of nowhere. I do like Spokane, but I don't like having to – it kind of reminds you of those old Big 12 road trips you, you hoped were a thing of the past when you got in the Pac-12. Yeah, that's all right. I, I probably won't make a trip to Pullman. Sorry, Pullman. I don't like Mike Leach. A lot of people love him and his humor, but I saw him berate a student reporter after the game in which uh, – the only game they won under John Embry's second season. She asked just kind of a question about his clock management at the end of the game, which was a really good question, and he just kind of undressed her in front of everybody for like 10 minutes and uh, was not a fan of that. Uh, yeah, Mike Leach sucks. Every but, once uh, in a while he will say something gonna, that makes me laugh. I'll yeah, admit that. No, I mean, uh, he's definitely a quirky guy, but for the most part he just rubs me the wrong way. Don't like Tucson? Never been there, couldn't say, but I don't like everybody that lives there. I can promise you that. Their fan base is the worst. There is good golf there. I'll give them that. Um, and I, and I, know, I think we have got a couple people that live in Tucson on our board, so hopefully they don't hold that against us too much, which is not a huge fan. I don't like UCLA. Jim Mora. Their okay. colors. They're soft. Okay. Just not a big UCLA guy in general. What about, you mentioned Davis Webb, just Cal in general, but all, more specifically, they've got this double standard with academics. They hold themselves as this prestigious academic school, which it is, but then they'll get in borderline academic risks that are really not up to snuff with their academic program. I guess. Cal's just kind of indifferent to me. I don't really care about them. Okay. Except for this year. I hope they go all in 12. That's about all I got on my list. You got yeah. anything else? I'm more love, less hate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah, I don't have anything else. 
Well, we're going to get into camp, and uh, I've mentioned this a few times. We're going to try to make this podcast a weekly occurrence, definitely during the season, leading up to the season. 7.60 a.m., which is now uh, all sports. It's uh, a great sports station. If you look at their lineup, they've got some good local programming with Dave Logan, and they've got some good national programming with Colin Cowherd. They actually want to put this podcast on the air on a weekly basis on Wednesday evenings. The thing there is we've got to find a title sponsor for this show. We've been kind of targeting car dealerships and banks, and we've gotten some nibbles but haven't gotten a commitment yet. Any of you listening out here, if you can uh, know of anybody that might be potentially interested in, in advertising, making Buff Stampede Radio something that will be will, will air on 760 AM, it will allow us to make some money doing this. It will allow us to improve our, our equipment. We'll be able to do some live shows from the Blake Street Tavern wherever else. Um, have some special guests. You know, we, we put some time into the production plan of this, but if we know what's going on at 7.60 a.m., we'll, we'll have special guests. We'll even up the level of the, the quality on this program even more. Um, it's something that we really want to do, so if, if you happen to know anyone that can help make that a possibility for us, let us know that. And don't worry, even if we start doing the show on 7.60 a.m., we will still have the podcast available the way it is right now on buffstampede.com on Stitcher, on iTunes, on your podcast app, on your iPhone. All that stuff is going to stay the same. Uh, we'll just have that extra outlet on the radio. Tyler, I think we touched all the bases uh, ready for camp. Yeah, definitely. Uh, still waiting to hear how often we'll be allowed to be there. Um, I hope it's a bunch because, you know, it really helps us out. Um, it really gets us ready for football season and, you know, get get the information that we can out to you guys, whatever they allow us to do. But, uh, yeah, it just, it just makes me feel a lot more confident about what I'm telling people about the program. So it's really important to us. So hopefully they throw us a bone and give us a few practices that we can go to. But uh, And then, you know, it allows us to do weekly podcasts too if we have stuff that we can talk about uh, throughout camp with you as well. So if not, um, we'll see you a few times before football season, but go Buffs. The sound of pads cracking on the football field is just on the horizon. Can't wait. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.